Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, hello, Emmanuel Faith. Great to see you today. My name is Ryan. If we haven't met yet, um, welcome. So grateful you're here. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, I am excited about what God is going to do in our midst. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you also. You know, at the beginning of each year, I spend some time thinking back over the past year. And, um, and this year, uh, around January 1st, I was just thanking God for uh, the many things that he did in our midst during the Christmas season. One of, my, one of my favorite events that we do as a church community during Christmas is our, our concerts. And just having the, the full orchestra there um, is, is amazing. And if you had the chance to go to any of those concerts, there's this moment right before the concerts begin that's one of my favorite moments of the concert because there's like a buzz going on in uh, the worship center here and it starts to quiet as Melody plays an A note and then Lynn Marie, our lead violinist, plays an A and then the rest of the orchestra tunes to her A note. And there's a quietness that comes over uh, the congregation as we anticipate what's going to come. But that isn't just pageantry, that's actually really practical. That tuning is extremely important because even if those musicians were playing the right chords, but they weren't in tune with each other, it wouldn't sound all that good, would it? How many of you have recently been to a elementary school band concert? <laughs> so I ran across this video um, this Christmas and it just, I saved it because it just made me laugh until I started to cry. So you're gonna hear uh, somebody begin the concert who clearly has private lessons and then everybody else is going to join in. Raise your hand if you went to one of these concerts this year. Ah, oh, they're such a blessing. Just wait for it. Here we go. And there it is. There, there it is. As a, as a kid, I can remember going to my brother's band concerts and hearing this. And one of my favorite memories of my mom is looking over at her during my brother's band concert. She had her program up in front of her face and her head was just shaking because she was laughing so hard. Next concert, next concert, my dad said to me and my mom, you are not allowed to sit next to each other. Like you, you cannot be near each other. So I look across the auditorium and I see my mom once again, just, I don't know. There's something that just tickles my funny bone about that. Now let's just be clear, that didn't sound chaotic merely because all the instruments were out of tune, um, but that was one of the issues, right? Like each one of those instruments is designed to add a certain piece to the whole. And if they're not connected all together, even if they're playing sort of the right, technically the right notes on their, or the right chords on their instrument, it's not gonna be the right note in connection to the rest of the orchestra. And I use that illustration to tell you, I think that sometimes our prayers can sound a bit like that elementary school band. Like we're out of tune with what God is doing in the world. 
We're not synced up to our Father's agenda. So we come to Him and we might play or say the right words, but, but the meditation of our heart and maybe even the things that we're bringing are just out of alignment with what the Father is doing in the world. So did you know that, that God has an agenda in His world? Did you know that God is up to something in our midst that when we talk about our mission as a church, really what we're just, we're just joining God in the mission that he is already on. So the goal of prayer is not to get my agenda in front of the king of heaven. It's actually to figure out what the king of heaven's agenda is so that I can join in. Wouldn't it be nice if we knew what God was up to in the world? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a really succinct and memorable way to say, this is God's agenda, so that then we could pray into his agenda rather than trying to push ours. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, wonderful. Three of you? Great, fine. Well, those three of you, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter six and the rest of you also, since you're here, because I wanna show you what God's agenda is and then how to join him in prayer. It should be no surprise to us that Jesus places God's agenda, his father's agenda at the very beginning of his model prayer. Remember, the Lord's prayer is designed to teach us how to pray. In Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus responds to the disciples question, how do we pray? And can you teach us how to pray by giving them the model prayer that we know so well? So we said last week, not all prayer is created equal. Prayer is talking to God, but it's not as simple as just talk to God. There's a way that Jesus prayed that was different than the way that every other religious leader around him prayed, so much so that the disciples said, we wanna get in on the way that you are interacting with your father. And so it was in light of that ask that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, giving them this model prayer. The early church would say this prayer at the beginning and end of each day. And as we say it together this morning, I just want you to know that we are standing on holy ground. Imagine yourself stepping into a stream that's been flowing for 2000 years. Imagine yourself linking arms with people who prayed this in catacombs, who have offered it in cathedrals and who utter it in persecuted countries all around the world today. So I want to invite you today. Would you pray this out loud along with me, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray when he said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Today we're focusing on verse 10 of this prayer. Look at it again with me. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to notice that up until this point in the prayer, everything that we have prayed has been about God, right? Our Father in heaven, 
How will it be your name? Make your name real and sacred in our midst. Your kingdom come and your will be done right here, right now on earth as it is in heaven. It's all, it's all about God. I've had this picture in my mind this week that um, I, I think that prayer needs to be a window before it's a mirror. I think we need to look out on God's world before we look at ourselves. I think that's what Jesus is teaching us here. That before we pray for our daily bread, before we pray for our forgiveness, before we pray that God would lead us, we first pray, hallow your name and teach us about your kingdom and your agenda in your world. Because we can all, if you're anything like me, we have a propensity to come to God and what's immediately on our heart is us. I think that's really natural. That's why Jesus has to teach us, unteach us how to pray before he then teaches us how to pray. Because we, before we ever find our place in God's story, we need to know what the story's all about. Otherwise, we're gonna try to force ourselves into a place that, that maybe God isn't writing. So what is God about? He's about his kingdom and his will. He's about his agenda. He's about his glory. He's about his name. He's about his fame. And what Jesus is teaching us when he teaches us how to pray is that we must align with God's agenda before we present our desires. Now hear me on this. That does not mean that we minimize our need or our pain or the real things that are going on in our real life. It doesn't mean that we minimize our needs. It means that we prioritize his agenda. Let me say that again. It doesn't mean that we minimize our needs. It means that we prioritize his agenda. And there are two main facets to his agenda that Jesus draws out, that he teaches us to pray, that help us, as it were, tune our hearts to live in the rhythm of the story that God is telling. Here's the first thing Jesus said. Pray this. Pray, your kingdom come. Now, we have a little bit of theological work to do if we're going to understand what Jesus is inviting us to pray. Because my guess is that many of you watched The Crown, but not too many of you grew up in a monarchy, okay? And so we don't really fully understand the metaphor that Jesus is using. So I think we, it would benefit us to do some work uh, to try to really nail down, what do we mean when we say your kingdom come? So I'm gonna ask a series of questions and then I'm gonna answer them in, in order to help us give a better handle, get a better handle on what Jesus is inviting us to pray here. First, what is a kingdom? What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a place over which someone rules and reigns, a king or a queen. So in the, the 16th to the 20th century, when the, the British Empire, the British kingdom was expanding, remember the saying, the sun never sets on the British Empire? It was expanding to the point where the king and queen had reign over different places. And that meant that what those, that king and that queen wanted to have done in those areas was done. When a king reigns, what the king wants done gets done. So your kingdom, so God's kingdom come. The question is, what is God's kingdom? It's the rule and reign of God. The kingdom of God is the place where what God wants done gets done. Well, where is the kingdom of God? 
Well, the kingdom of God was designed to be everywhere. It was designed to be everywhere in heaven and on earth. I mean, God created the world as an expansion of his kingdom and he designed human beings to live under his good and gracious rule and reign. And then actually, if you read through Genesis one and two, to partner with him in expanding his rule and reign all throughout the earth. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 says that he created us to rule under him and alongside of him. Now, the question is, how did that work out? Not too well, right? Adam and Eve and every other person with them rejected God as king and therefore rejected his kingdom. Another way of looking at the fall of humanity is that other kingdoms were introduced alongside of God's kingdom. The kingdom of darkness, started to take root and started to rule and reign on this place that we call earth, both in our hearts and all around us. As a great philosopher, Dallas Willard wrote, he said this, persons other than God, such as you or I, are still allowed on earth to have a quote unquote say that is contrary to his will. A kingdom of darkness is here, certainly. And the kingdoms of many individuals who are still trying to run their own show All of this, God still permits. So God's kingdom is designed to be everywhere in heaven and on earth, but sin creates innumerable counterfeit and competing kingdoms that are in direct conflict to the kingdom of God. So now that sin has entered the world, when and where is the kingdom of God? Well, that question is going to take a, a bit of nuance in order to answer. So, so don't lose me on this. Uh, when Jesus started to first preach, arrived on the public scene and started to do ministry, listen to his very first sermon. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the what? The gospel of God. The very first sermon Jesus gave was about the gospel, the good news and saying, the time is fulfilled and the, say it with me, church. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, like right here, right now. Repent and believe in the gospel. So according to Jesus, what is the gospel? The gospel is the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here and right now. This is the message that Jesus gives over and over and over again. If we ever had Jesus as a guest speaker in this pulpit and said, you can preach on anything you want, he would say, I would love to preach to you about the kingdom of God. How do we know? It's what he preached about consistently everywhere he went. In fact, he said, it's the reason that he came. So, He says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's as though Jesus is saying God's rule and reign is right here in me. And he's inviting us to live under the rule and reign, to live with God as our king. Now, uh, let's just use round numbers. This happened roughly 2,000 years ago. Anybody swiped through their news app lately and thought, gosh, if the kingdom of God is at hand, it just looks a little bit different than I thought it was going to look. And if it's, if it's everywhere, can we be honest? It's a little bit disappointing, right? Is it just me? I mean, like, 
We have wars that are going on in the Middle East right now. We have um, wars that's going on in Ukraine. We have genocide that's taking place in China. There are um, innumerable, even though we're gonna uh, celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day tomorrow, there's still injustices and racial inequality that are taking place right here in our nation. I mean, when I look around the world, when I look out that window, I don't always see the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, maybe you do, and there's a news station that I'm missing, okay? But I think there's some tension here, and there should be. Because what Jesus taught is that the kingdom of God is here, but, but just because his kingdom is here doesn't mean those competing kingdoms have been eliminated. So the kingdom of God is here right alongside of the kingdom of darkness, Here's the good news, friends. There will come a day when his kingdom will be the only kingdom. John uh, wrote it like this. Amen, you can clap for that. John wrote it like this in Revelation chapter 11. He said, he said, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the kingdom of God is both at hand right now, Jesus told us, and it's coming. Uh, theologians would say it's, it's now, but it's also not yet. And, and I just wanna nuance this a bit because a lot of people think that, well, there will come a day when the kingdom of God comes fully. And, and I don't think that that's technically true. The kingdom of God is here fully now. It's just here fully with competition. There will come a day when the kingdom of God is the only kingdom and we see it more fully. Jesus, what Jesus inaugurated will one day be consummated and we will experience it in all of its fullness. But it is here now. It is here now. Um, let me give you, let me just give you an illustration to maybe help you take what's conceptual and paint a picture. Uh, when I was our college pastor here, we used to take our leadership team up to Mammoth at the beginning of most years, uh, the school year in, in order to just pray and seek God. And as part of that trip, we would go to this hot springs that's, um, it's called Crowley hot springs and it's in a river up in Mammoth that's, uh, essentially snow melt runoff. And then in that same river, there's a hot springs that sort of bubbles up. Anybody been there? So fun. So you, you swim across this ice cold river and you get to the sand bank and you get to sit on it and you experience a hot spring. So let me ask you, is that river cold or hot? Just say, it depends, right? It depends on where in the river you are, right? And I think that's the way that the kingdom of God works is it's right alongside of the kingdom of, kingdoms of darkness, that, that warm water right alongside of the, the cold water, the, uh, the ice cold water that's right there. And the way that the kingdom of God functions here and now is that the places where Jesus is obeyed as king, the places where he rules and reigns are places right now that his kingdom comes. So here's the question, what kingdom are we in? Well, when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, listen to what he said. He said that, that he, God, 
has delivered us from the domain or the reign or the kingdom of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we might describe salvation as the forgiveness of sins, and that it is, yes and amen, but we ought to add to that, it's the forgiveness of sins and the transference of kingdoms. That because of what Jesus has done, his atoning death on the cross, his forgiveness of our sin, he not only makes us right with God, but right now he puts us in the kingdom of his beloved son. And we live by faith in Jesus. And as we do so, and as we obey him, and as we walk in his spirit, we live in his kingdom. Okay, um, so that's a lot to take in. I want you to zoom out from all of that and let's try our best to just make that practical. When we are praying your kingdom come, what are we asking for? Like, what does it look like to tune our heart and our prayers to the agenda of heaven? Well, well, what we're essentially saying is, God, we want you to invade more than we want to escape. We want you to take all the good stuff that's going on in heaven, and we want you to bring it down to earth. The Lord's prayer does not start by teaching us to pray, God, this is hard, this is painful, get me out of here. God, do you know how difficult it is to live in California right now? I mean, everything that's pushing back, like, God, get me out of here. You don't find that in the Lord's prayer. Like, it, does, it turns out that that's not the first thing on God's agenda. Instead of get me out of here, it's how might God want to use me in order to bring more of what God's about right into the places that he's called me to live. And I think that's a word for us as Jesus followers in our modern world. It can be so easy, so easy. I'm guilty of it, you guys, to pray. God, I want your comfort. <laughs> Please, Lord, you're God of comfort, bring it. I want your peace, God, bring it. And, and, and no doubt God wants to bring those things, but oftentimes in a way that looks contrary to what we're actually hoping for. Because there's no peace and there's no comfort and there's no purpose and there's no meaning like knowing that you are in step with the agenda of God. And so I think it would benefit us to start to ask God, what would it look like for your kingdom to come in my marriage? God, what would it look like for your kingdom to come in my relationships? God, what would it look like for your kingdom to come in my job and, and, and in my school? And, and what would it look like for you to invade, not for me to escape? Now, now let me just do a, a sort of a caveat, side note. There are situations that some of you in this room are in that are unhealthy, that are dangerous, that are unsafe for you. And so you're right now even con contemplating a, is this a situation I need to get out of? And what I'm not saying is you need to stay in whatever situation you are in and pray that the kingdom of God comes there, even at the expense of your own health and wellness. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is before you pray for escape, pray for the kingdom. And even if God invites you to step out, Pray the kingdom. Pray that his kingdom would invade that person, that space, that workplace, that relationship. So 
Um, you might be asking yourself, all right, Ryan, that the kingdom and his reign is a bit conceptual. What might it look like um, more on the ground and in real life? I'm so glad you asked because right after Jesus proclaimed the kingdom, he demonstrated the kingdom. Look at what he said. It says, and this is in Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 23. It says, he, Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the, what? Gospel, Gospel of the kingdom. It, it was his central message. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So Jesus proclaims the kingdom and then he demonstrates the kingdom because the kingdom always comes in both word and deed. Or as the apostle Paul would write to the church at Corinth, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power but in power, that like when God shows up, lives change, situations change, people change. Like the darkness starts to get driven out. Anytime you turn a light on, the darkness implicitly begins to retreat. And the kingdom of darkness is the place where sin and all of its byproducts rule and reign. The kingdom of darkness is a place where what Satan wants done gets done. So to pray your kingdom come is to pray against darkness. It's to pray against Satan's agenda. It's to pray against sickness and death. It's to pray for healing of bodies, restoring of relationships, peace in homes. It's to pray against sickness and pride and lust and perversion and sin in all of its forms. The kingdom of God is where light and where good reign. And when we pray your kingdom come, we're saying, God, we want more light, more good, more love to rule and to reign here. As Paul would write to the church at Rome, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Now in the context here, he's talking about legalism and trying to earn God's approval. So based on what you eat and what you drink or what you don't eat and what you don't drink, he goes, that's not, that's not what the kingdom of God's about. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So to pray for God's kingdom is to pray for God's powerful good in people and communities that we love. It's to pray for God's invasion. And it benefits us, Jesus says, to tune our hearts to his agenda, more of him right here, more of his power right here, at the very beginning of our prayer. So, one more question. What, what, or how do we participate in this kingdom? First, we pray. We've, we've already addressed that, and I think that's really important to state overtly because if we start with us, we might think that it depends on us. Amen? Yeah. Like, we don't start with God, I'm gonna make your kingdom come. We start with God, you do the heavy lifting. And I want to align with your agenda. And when we start with God, we remind ourselves it's ultimately his power that we are 
leaning on. But when we pray, your kingdom come, we are asking God to expand the range of his effective rule. We're asking him to take ground from competing kingdoms. Sometimes those kingdoms are in our own heart and in our own lives. We are asking, we are participating in what we might call cosmic spiritual warfare. Read, read, read the book of Daniel if you don't think that that's a real thing. We are interceding. We are standing in the gap between God and his world and saying, God, would you move and you move in your world for the glory of your name and the good of your people. Praying your kingdom come and your will be done reminds Jesus' followers that we can anticipate the inbreaking of his kingdom even before his return. So um, the Swiss theologian Karl Barth would put it like this. He says, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. Woo! Karl! So, so when you're praying later on today or even right now, just know that you are participating in an uprising. How's that? I mean, you guys, praying your kingdom come and your will be done in the morning and the evening of each day should mean that the middle, that everything in between that is not boring. Because we're going, God, what? How are you on the move? How are you working? In my marriage, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, God, what are you, what are you up to? And, and so then we pray, and then there's this, the second piece of that, and it's that we get to participate. <laughs> we get to participate. It was John Calvin who said, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. And we do that. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the fact that he is our king. And that has implications for our relationships. It has implications for our finances. It has implications for the way that we interact with people, that we believe that maybe, just maybe, God might want to work through us for the glory of his name. Because the kingdom of God is manifest in this world, even before Jesus returns, as Christians live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and subjects of the king. That's how it works. So we participate and we pursue that reign in our own lives. Saying, God, make us set apart. Show us our sins so that we can repent of it. Like we, we want you to rule and reign over every part of our lives. So we pray it personally, and then, and then we say, and then God, how might you want me to be the answer, part of the answer to that prayer, your kingdom come? Um, I, I love the way that Corey Temboom put it. She said, we never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that he will get us involved in his plan for the answer. If we are true intercessors, which is what that means to stand in the gap, we're intercessors. We must be ready to take part in God's world on behalf of the people for whom we pray. That is such a good word. So as individuals, it means, God, we're praying this prayer. God, may your kingdom come. And then when we see people who are hurting, um, we, we pray for them. We minister to them. 
Uh, we, we see people who, when they're, when they're sick, maybe like we, we bring a meal and we show practical love. It means that we share our lives with other people. Like when we talk about life groups here, we're not just saying, man, would it, wouldn't it be nice if you had more friends? No, we're saying that the kingdom of God often flows along the lines of relationships. And in order to hear what God is doing, in order to, um, to step into his agenda and plan for your life, that you need people around you. We're saying your kingdom come. As a church, when you hear us talk about love ESCO, it's not, hey, wouldn't it be nice if Escondido was a little bit nicer place to live? Like that might be some people's agenda and that's fine. I mean, I would like it to be a nicer place to live than a worse place to live if I have those two choices. You just need to know that that is not our agenda as a church with Love Esco. Our agenda is your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And we wanna see the city more beautiful and we wanna see orphans and widows cared for and we wanna see kids being tutored and we wanna see local businesses flourishing and we wanna see local schools being blessed because that's the way that the kingdom of God breaks in. That's the way that heaven invades earth. And that, that's, that's our agenda as a church because Jesus, for those in the back that maybe didn't hear it, Jesus calls us to invade with light, not to retreat from the dark. All right, so that's phrase one. How's everyone doing? (laughs) Here's phrase two. Your will be done. Your will be done. When we pray this portion of the prayer, we're immediately confronted with another theological conundrum. Are there places in the world where God's will is not done? Number one. And number two, if his will is not done in certain places around the world, is he still sovereign? I I think that's a fair question. So first, are there places around the world where God's will is not done? My answer to that is actually a question. What would it mean to pray your will be done if there aren't places where his will isn't done? Right? Jesus isn't calling us to pray an empty or hollow prayer. Like he's actually inviting us to participate in, in warfare. He's, he's, he's inviting us, calling us to be intercessors. So the second question, is God sovereign? Yes, 100%. Your question back to me might be, well, how? Let me try my best. Um, Because there's a lot of confusion over how God is sovereign and how we can still pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So um, if what we mean by God is sovereign, when we say God is sovereign, if what we mean is that God determines every little thing that happens, that simply is not the story or narrative of scripture you can start on page three to see that. But God in his sovereignty, like think of that as like a a huge category within his sovereignty, he has given this little space of where both human beings and spiritual beings have freedom. They can choose to live in alignment with his reign and his rule, or they can choose to reject him. So here's the way I would say it, is that God's sovereignty does not mean that God determines everything. It means that God can do anything. God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it. And one of the things he wants to do is give both spiritual and human beings freedom and responsibility. Pascal would call this the dignity of causation, which means that our lives 
and our prayers really do matter. It also means, my guess is you're going to go, well, of course. It also means that my will and God's will are sometimes in conflict. Anybody want to say amen? Yeah, there are times when I run into the reality that God is up to something in the world that I didn't know he was up to, something in my life that I didn't know that he was up to, that he has a different plan than the plan that I have asked him to approve for my life. Anybody with me? Yeah. And that's why, that's why we must choose to do his will. That's why Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica and said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the what? will of God in Christ Jesus for you. His will that you must choose. Those are all commands, by the way. His will that you must choose because God's not going to force it on you. So, okay, let's zoom out just a little bit. When we pray your will be done, just like when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying God invade this space with light and love and maybe use me as a vehicle to do it. When we pray your will be done, we are praying surrender, not control. We're praying surrender, not control. (laughs) I've had this phrase like just bouncing around in my head this week where um, the reason that it's so hard for me to pray your will be done is because I think I'm right. (laughs) I'm just being honest with you. I think I know what'll make me happy. I think I know what God's good and God's best is for me. I think I know what it would look like for him to show up in power right now. And I'm like, God, here's the agenda. If you could just stamp it with your approval, we'd be on our way. But when I pray your will be done, whew, That one's a lot harder because that means we're praying with open hands rather than clenched fists. I think of the way that Jesus prays in the garden of Gethsemane when he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, the cross, pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I love, I love this model because in this model, Jesus does not, or in this example, Jesus does not mute his desires. He does not back off of his wants, but he holds them in a way where they are completely open to his father and he essentially surrenders all of his wants for his father's agenda. So, just a quick word of what that might look like in our lives. Um, Let me give you three areas that um, I find myself continually needing to surrender. Uh, One is my plan, like I just said. I've got a blueprint for my life and I'd love for God to just approve it, stamp it and like execute it, my plan. But as the wisdom of Proverbs would say, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. How many of you are grateful that he does? Me too, ultimately, but it's hard. Second, Second is that I I need to pray and surrender my pace because um, I usually want things on my timeline and my timeline is often faster than God's timeline. 
Like, God, I want, God, God, I want you to heal. I want you to restore. God, I want you to mend this. I, I want your hand to show up. And uh, Lord, I want it now. And God seems fit to be more comfortable with my waiting than I often am with my waiting. <laughs> Turns out that he's actually doing something in the waiting. So maybe we just pray back, God, I trust you with the pace of this relationship. I trust you with the pace of this growth. I trust you with the pace of this healing. You are in control of the pace. And then finally, it means that I trust that God has a perspective that is wildly bigger than mine. I often have a myopic view of the world, one that revolves around me or people that I love or you, people that I know and that I care about, right? And and I want God to work in his world in a way that it aligns with my perspective. But every time I pray your will be done, I need to automatically think, and God, you have a different perspective than I have. You see every person around this globe, you know them, and the way that you're working and the way that you're weaving even terrible things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose, the way that you are at work in all of that, I could never fathom or comprehend. So when I pray your will be done, I'm surrendering, God, this is the way that I think it should go. And here's the beautiful thing about that, you guys, is that the place of surrender, that place of open-handed prayer is the portal to peace. It's the way that God often moves in our hearts to take us from tumultuous chaos to peace that transcends understanding. So Jesus would say, pray like this, your kingdom come. God, you rule and you reign. Your peace, your righteousness, your joy right now. And your will be done. God, what you want to see happen in my life, I surrender it all. On earth as it is in heaven. Linguistically, this is the center point of the prayer. Um, Maybe not coincidentally, if you zoom out a little bit more, it's, it's roughly the center point of the Sermon on the Mount also. So it's as though Jesus is saying, like, if you want to align with, with God's agenda, you just simply need to think about what's going on in heaven and what would it look like for more of that to go on in my life and in his world right now, right now. And when you pray, for God's plan, God, heaven invade. Your kingdom come, your will be done. When you pray God's plan, you start to experience God's power because you align your heart with his agenda, with what he is up to in the world. That's pretty good, amen? Amen. amen. Let me give you just three pictures and then... I'm gonna invite us to to pray together. Here's the first picture of his kingdom coming and his will being done in Escondido as it is in heaven. This is Love Esco that I mentioned already. There's a Love Esco day coming up February 3rd. We would love for you to join in, um, not not just because it's a, a great thing to do, but because we believe that when people living in submission to the king show up, the kingdom comes with them. And we would love to see his kingdom come and his will be done in Escondido as it is in heaven, amen? 
Let me give you another picture of what it looks like in our community and what it might look like in your life. Here's a picture of Eric and Kristen Freund, and um, they're here sitting right over to my left, your right today. Uh, a number of years ago, they started a ministry entitled Hope on the Hard Road, where they minister to families of kids who have special needs. And this is a journey that they walked personally, have walked, are still walking personally. But out of what Jesus has taught them, they've longed to give back to those who are in the same position. To say, no, like God's kingdom can break in, even to situations that are really difficult and really hard. And his kingdom can come. And they're partnering with him as his kingdom breaks out in families all across North County. And it's beautiful. This is a picture of uh, the back of my friend, John Goodman over here. And he and Joanne, his wife started Play As One. How many years ago, John? 10 years ago. Um, here, I'm gonna let John's secret out of the bag a little bit. Um, Play As One is not about sports. It's about discipling families. It's about coming alongside of people in Escondido to say, what might it look like for, for kids who are struggling or kids who come from difficult families and kids who come from great families to have others, other adults who are walking alongside of them, teaching them about Jesus, letting them know that they are known, valued and loved. And there are hundreds of people every week flooding onto our campus here at Emmanuel Faith to hear the good news of Jesus and the kingdom is coming into families and lives because of that work, praise be to God. There's so many other ways, you guys. We have, we have, um, we have listening prayer ministries, we have deliverance ministries, we have people that are willing to pray with you at all times of the day and night, night, and we are here to partner with you as you partner with Jesus to say, what would it look like for your kingdom to break in? You don't need to start a ministry to do that, just so you know. But if you simply believe that God wanted his kingdom, power, righteousness, and joy to invade your life, your family, and your workplace, how would that change the way that you pray? How would it change the way that you show up? So here's my invitation. Tune your heart to heaven's agenda. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth right now as it is in heaven. Tune your heart to heaven's agenda and then see what instrument he might want you to pick up to play in his redemption song. This week, our practice is praying the Lord's Prayer in the morning and the evening of each day. And I would just invite you to grab one of these cards on the way out at the welcome desk. If you haven't already, put it somewhere, you'll see it and pray it slowly. Take five minutes in the morning and the evening to pray it. Linger on your kingdom come and your will be done and see how Jesus might send you to be part of the answer to that prayer. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.